Hi, my name's uh, Dave and welcome along to another Seacamp uh, podcast. We've just come fresh out of a, a, an academy, a Seacamp Academy session on finance and M&A and I'm sat here with Will Herman. Um, Will, tell us uh, who, who you are and, and what do you know about this subject and why? Well, hi, yeah. So, yeah, I'm Will Herman. Um, I'm the uh, Commercial Knox Director and FD of Hassle.com. Um, so, uh, would you like me to explain a bit about Hassle.com? Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, I think a lot of people will know Hassle, but for those who don't, maybe, maybe some, you know, when did you guys get started? What was the ambition at the beginning? Okay, yeah. So, um, Hassle.com uh, started out on its journey in 2011. That's when the, uh, the conception, um, um, you know, the idea was born. Um, the three founders, Alex, Jules and Tom, um, got together, I believe, over coffees and breakfast and thought about how they were going to make the millions and this was their idea. Um, their idea back then, Teddle, was um, a, a, a marketplace to sell their services, basically. Um, and um, at first they were looking to sell, it was a 25 service business um, and was that way throughout 2011 until about uh, midway through 2012. Um, they, they got their first employee then, um, continued to grow that business uh, throughout 2012 and then in 2013 um, they moved to uh, focus on just uh, offering one service on the platform and that was for domestic cleaning. Um, so from that point in time to now Hassle.com has gone from you know, being that, uh, a, a business that focuses on just one service and is now the largest provider, the, the biggest marketplace for um, domestic cleaning in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you joined 18 months ago, if I'm if I'm correct. How did you come across the company? Where did you meet the founders? What was your journey into? Hassle? Yeah, so more or less, I joined 18 months ago. Yeah, back in um, March, April 2014. Um, I guess I don't come from a traditional background for those people that work in startup. Um, oh, I do, but actually, like how I moved into business is probably a bit different. I wasn't, I wasn't desperate to get into startup like a lot of people are. Um, I have a background of working in, in business consultancy. Um, I worked in project management um, and business control with Accenture for about 10 years, um, where I met um, Alex, Jules and Tom, the founders. Um, I joined just after those guys had raised their Series A. Um, and I think they were looking for somebody that wanted to do or was good at doing the boring shit that they didn't want to do, to be mm -hmm. honest. Um, and that turned out to be me. Yeah. And I think every every company, you know, it reaches that that point in their journey where they need someone like you to come in. And, you know, as the organization grows, as the responsibilities grow and, you know, reporting to different stakeholders, there's so many things that you need to kind of start thinking about. But, but I mean, how, how did you see it play out at Hassle? What was the state of those things when you came in and what was the priorities, you know, the action points that a growing company needs to start tidying up? Yeah, so... Um you're going to get me into trouble with those guys <laughs> if, I, if I disclose too much. Um, actually, no, in, in reality, that they those guys had quite a lot of structure in place. They all came from a, a business consultancy background mm -hmm. as well, so they're all quite, look, look they are at least, whether they like it or not, they're at least like familiar with like the process-driven nature of like big business, corporate business, um, and elements of that were already in their business. Um, but certainly, you know, when I first came on board, uh, first joined them, that was really one of my biggest jobs um, on day one was to put a little bit more rigor uh, into their business, a bit more control, um, help those guys to, uh, you know, improve the way that they would report, help those guys to think about, you know, how they would track their performance better, 
um, those types of things. So really, uh, in, in the early days of me being at Hustle.com, that's that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and then from that point, like the scope of my role expanded to be kind of where it is now, which is this you know commercial ops director, kind of going down this like the COO route or somewhere between COO, COO CFO, FD. God knows what my job title in it is. It's changed a few times, but um, yeah, um, I really I. I Basically, uh, I, I head up a lot of the legal stuff, a lot of the commercial stuff, our HR department, our office management, but then predominantly, like a, a large part of my job is is heading up the finance department, effectively. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and and so there there must have been a certain point where you guys felt as a company you, you'd really hit product market fit. You're able to go out and raise a, a great Series A with with, with Excel. Um, talk us about a bit more about that that period of the journey. Okay, so I mean, I joined just afterwards basically mm -hmm. so I was there in the in the aftermath um, I you know and, and the company changed dramatically and, and though I may not have been there to see what it was like a few weeks before I was there I could feel like oh, there was a huge energy about you know the, the people that were joining the company and the way that it was just dramatically expanding in such a short space of time so I mean two weeks before I joined the company would have been five people yeah um, and it had been that size for you know, the two years previously, you know, um, uh, and then two weeks later, we were at about twenty people. Yeah, um, there was a you know a real sort of buzz in that period, and it was a, it was a, an exciting, a really exciting time to have joined the company. Yeah, yeah. And then when you come in, you know, once you once you get that money into the business, there's a sense of okay, we're really going to scale what we do. Um, was there a sense of transition of, or how did there's always a trade-off between growth and thinking about revenue or thinking about the unit economics of your business? Um, can you just describe that transition or that that tension a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't come immediately for us actually. I I know exactly what you're talking about, um, and that came actually uh, latterly. So at first, the focus was was really on like driving growth, um, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know you know the amount of expenditure that you'll have in marketing all of a sudden from like one month to the next month can just be huge um, and you need to make sure that you have the right people on board to to help you make the right decisions when you're spending that money um, and I think yeah, that's one of the key things that uh, that we needed to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. And so one of the big topics that we just talked about in the in the session with the new Seacamp teams was M&A, um, just from a perspective, from your perspective of having actually Hassel acquiring a company, but then also uh, ultimately then going through another M&A process later on. Um, yeah, talk us through that M&A. So, you know, anyone listening doesn't know, explain the details. But what was your what was your motivation for uh, doing that M&A process? Yeah, sure. So certainly, so, so from the perspective of when we were the acquirer, um, so in March of 2015, um, about a year after we'd raised the cash, I mean, by that stage, we'd already launched in um, Ireland and we'd launched in France. Um, we'd expanded dramatically in the UK um, mm -hmm. um, and we were looking to expand elsewhere as well. So you know, this is still the time when we're really focused on growth. Um, and, and driving to be kind of like a big multinational business um, and, and realizing that the, the, the best way to do that was by opening new markets um, rather than necessarily trying to exploit more out of the markets that we were in. Um, so yeah, in, in March 2015, we thought the best way for us to get a footprint in the market in Germany was to acquire a company, ULS. Um, 
uh, it was that was is, is the business name trading name was uh, quite nicely actually Putzfei and Kinderfei, uh, which is cleaning fairy and uh, <laughs> and uh, children fairy, which I'm not sure translates that well. If you know, probably not a service that most people would, nice. uh, yes, yes. would uh, buy. But yeah, basically um, the Putzfei bit, the cleaning business, was um, really a very similar business to the business that we were running and. Um, Putzfee was a bit, uh, sorry, Kinderfee was a business that worked on the same logic, um, but was for um, uh, babysitting services instead. Mm-hmm. Um, the process there, so uh, the founders at Hassel Alex and Jules in particular had done a really good job um, throughout their time in the business of knowing their competition. Um, <clears throat> and, um, and, and what I mean by that is... Um, actually going out there, having coffees with our key competitors and you know the other people that are working in our space. And I think they've been speaking to the guys um, from Putzfee, Kinderfee, probably for the best part of a year, yeah. um, having on and off conversations, meeting for coffees when those guys were in London, when Alex and Jules were in Germany. Um, and, you know, gradually when we, over a period of time, it became clear that they were a company that had really similar beliefs and values to us. Um, not only from a from a strategic perspective about how a business like ours or theirs should work in the marketplace that we're in, but also from a, a company value perspective. Um, um, and then when we were looking to move into Germany, which is, was actually a, a market that had quite a lot of competition in it, um, we realised that the best way for us to, to get up for all of that market would be with a business that we respected, that was already doing well in that market, um, and, and with some some really great guys uh, in that business, so mm. the motivations for us there were yeah, for, for that for, for our acquisition were um, get a foothold in the market, um, uh, like build a business with a company that has similar values to us, and importantly to to buy in some you know really top class talent and yeah. uh, and use that to continue to grow the business in Germany, but also to share some of their knowledge with us back in the yeah, UK yeah. Uh, and in France. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the values there. I mean, I think, you know, the question that always gets asked is, you know, that there is one around, you know, culture. What happens if you, you know, the acquirer is a slightly different culture? Or but were there any particular things that you did um, during that process when you acquired the company um, to make that as smooth a transition as possible? Um, yeah, I mean, most of it was done informally. So we spent a lot of time meeting with those guys, chatting with those guys, working out, how they did things, um, and you know, letting them know how we did things. Um, um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, one thing as the deal, sort of almost quite unbelievably, as the deal was sort of still in the process um, at Hassle.com, we have a, a, a monthly management team dinner um, where you know we'll sit around a table, probably you know, invariably drink too much wine, talk about the business, argue a little bit. And um, yeah, everybody has a good time and uh, get some stuff off your chests. Um, and you know, quite strangely, in the process of us acquiring them, we decided to invite the two founders of Putzfee Kinderfee to one of our management dinners so they could get a feel for how we worked as a business, um, and you know, so that we could you know work out as well whether we thought that they were um, a, a good fit for us. And mm-hmm. you know, it obviously it worked out well. Um, you know. The deal wasn't uh, torn up that evening, so yeah, it, it went ahead, um, and really was a it was, was you know considering it, this was a deal that wasn't you know between like big companies that had integration teams, M and A teams, or significant you know significant departments with staff with skills and change management. This was a founder to founder deal, and actually, uh, when we got together, I think we were probably ninety five percent aligned on how things should work, and it was as smooth as you could expect. 
without a huge amount of work having mm-hmm. to go into it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, th- this sounds like an incredibly busy period for you guys. You've, you've raised Series A, you know, the team's growing, you've, you're on the path from 20 employees to 60 employees, revenue's going up all the time. Um, and then all of a sudden, you're actually going into a, uh, an M&A process uh, on the other side of things. So, yeah, um, yeah talk us through what, what was it like at that time? And was that a surprise? Was this something that you kind of expected to happen? Was it a planned for thing? I mean, how does one plan for that type of thing to happen? Yeah, I mean, so for us, it was a question of, of, of weighing up our options. And it's certainly not something that happened overnight as well. So like I said, um, we'd been uh, in conversation and had had relationships with all of our um, competitors, um, including the guys that, you know, we were eventually acquired by. Um, Which was, just for those who aren't familiar. So, yes, helping.de, a rocket internet company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah. So I mean, it was. I, I guess actually, you know, in most cases, I wasn't part of these conversations because they were founder to founder. Yeah. But <clears throat> my understanding is uh, that the conversations were probably going on informally for kind of like six months, um, and at the same time, we were weighing up op- other options for you know raising funds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had other opportunities, and then I think gradually. You know, over a period of time, it got to a point where you know, the, the, the deal was the right deal. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's kind of how it happened for us. Yeah, yeah. And and how do you prepare for that in your role, um, you know, as, as kind of CFO and having a hand in, in all the operations? Are there best practices that you can tell founders, even if they're, you know, years before this type of transaction? Is there certain best practices, things that they should be keeping? Should they... When you go into that due diligence process, there's, there's probably things you can do that to make that a little bit easier or a little bit quicker. Yeah, I mean, one of something that may seem a little bit naughty, but it's actually kind of, you know, a big piece of advice that I would I would give, and this is partially from my own experience of the pain of going through a due diligence process <laughs> um, associated with an acquisition, um, is actually it it will be invaluable if you have like a really well structured like you know. Um, file structure basically you know whatever filing structure you're, you know whatever whatever you're using yeah um, but just make sure you have all your documentation in place um, and, and, and just understanding where stuff is it'll save you you know hours days weeks whatever when it gets to the due diligence process if you've got a bit of structure in place so um, do that really boring shit thing that you don't want to do and spend half a day hmm. making a decent file structure and save all your stuff yeah, yeah. And I guess this leads to my next question, which is, um, you know, even before you go into due diligence process, to be able to put yourself in the position where you can even have these talks, there's a certain amount of trust that needs to be there between the, you know, the parties. Um, often, if in your case, you're being, um, you're acquiring or then being approached by a competitor, albeit in a different territory, um, how do you approach the competitive tensions that this conversation inevitably brings about? Um, I think do you know what I think it's 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 difficult. I mean, there's no there's no doubt about that. Um, if, I mean, for us, I can, I can only speak from my experience. But for us, um, these guys have been our biggest competitors in the marketplace, and and you know, in Europe, um, you know, we had other and have other um, big competitors in the states, but in Europe, these were these were the people. Um, that we're really competing against and um, kind of watching, um, and you know when you're looking at them, obviously there's, there's a you have feelings towards your competitors, um, 
And then just on signing the deal and becoming in theory the same company, that competition doesn't just die overnight. Um, it remains for a while and I think that can be a really positive thing um, at times. It's great that you've got basically two separate bits of the business that are competing with each other, um, trying to be the top dog the whole time. Um, but then at the same time, it does. You, you're right, and you, it's the trust that you talked about. The, the, it does breed an element of, um, of you know, dis, mistrust. Um, and I think, I think it, the balance, the key thing is getting the balance right um, between that competitive spirit being a positive thing and the competitive spirit being something mm -hmm. that's distinctly negative. And um, yeah. yeah, I think that's probably key. Yeah, and I guess during these discussions as well, I mean, one thing I'm, I'm really curious about is, as part of the senior management team, knowing that this process is going on, how do you communicate that with the rest of your team? Is it something that you say, right, actually, you know, we can't let people know in case the information leaks, or do you try and be transparent to the team? You know, they might be hearing whispers and wondering what's happened. Obviously, people have different approaches. How, how did you think that through at Hassle? Um, yeah, Hassle's a, really is a genuinely a remarkable environment in that it's an incredibly uh, open and honest environment. We share most of our information, uh, almost all of our information with everybody in the mm -hmm. team. Uh, we have a, you know, a, a weekly stand-up session at the end of the week where we get together with our guys with a beer and take, talk them through some of this kind of stuff. Um, in this process, though, it was, it was slightly different. And there's, there's certain elements of it that, you know, a, we couldn't share with them because, you know, it could potentially be commercially sensitive and could have an impact on, on any deal. But B, as well, um, you know, so much um, management energy and, and focus when you're going through this type of thing switches from the day-to-day -day management of your business towards just the deal, right? There's so much work. Um, it's, it, the key thing is not to underestimate the overwhelming amount of work that's involved in something like it. Uh, but... With that in mind, then you need to keep your key people in your team focused on running the business from a day-to-day -day basis yeah. um, so that you don't take your eye off the ball. So therefore, you know, for that reason, as well as the commercial reasons, as you know, it, it was you know, a lot of what was going on. In fact, almost all of what was going on, we just couldn't share with the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah understandable. Um, so one of the questions that came up in the session earlier was around valuation. Um, how do you, you know, when you're in the market or somebody approaches you, What's the process for both you and the buyer um, to think through what the valuation of the business might be? What, what's an appropriate price uh, to actually uh, do the transaction? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's, uh, you know, it may well be different for, for in other M&A circumstances. But for us, um, both when we acquired a company and when we were acquired, um, the products that were on the table in each of those three companies were, you know, almost homogenous, basically. Um, and each of the companies had a perception of their own value um, at any point in time. So, you know, when we were acquirer, when we were the acquirer, we knew what we valued ourselves at, and therefore we could look at the economics of the, the company that we were buying and, and apply the same terms to ourselves, uh, uh, to, sorry, to them as we did to ourselves, and therefore come up with at least in our opinion, what the value of that company was. Mm -hmm. Of course, then there's a bit of backwards and forwards about what's right. Um, and then likewise, um, when being acquired, um, you know, the small element of bullshit that goes into anybody's valuation of themselves 
Like you take that company's bullshit that they've used for themselves, apply it to yourself, and come up with a number. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And I mean that 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 whole process with with that, the initial discussions, the due diligence, actually closing out the transaction, um, going to vary from company to company. But how long from your what what would be the average of you know from you guys you guys doing your um, acquisition like uh, to then uh, being acquired? How long did both of those processes last? Um, yeah, I mean, the processes are long, drawn-out, painful, <laughs> slow processes. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, both, both of the conversations were going on for a long time in advance of anything really concrete being in place. Um, so, uh, over, like, you know, slowly, gradually building towards something that was pretty serious over a, over a series of months. But then, I guess, from... Things getting really serious to ending that process probably takes at least you know six to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. Absolute bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Okay, excellent. Well, um, you know, let's let's end it there. I'd love to just end on um, having been through this. I mean, it must have been a crazy experience having been through that. If you were get to advise a founder who may be just starting out, or they just raised a seed round, they're, they're probably couple of years ahead of being in the, in the place where they want to start thinking about M&A. Mm -hmm. what, what are one or two kind of nuggets of information that you want to plant into their heads, you know, right now? Yeah, so one of the things is what you touched on before. It's like, you know, the due diligence process um, involved in any deal is, is rigorous, it's hard, um, and it's time-consuming. So actually having your ducks um, in order or in a line, whatever the phrase is, um, yeah, well in advance. So having good file structure, uh, making sure you, you know, you're, you're keeping, you know, appropriately keeping your records, making sure that you're doing the boring stuff like your accounts appropriately and stuff like that will put you in really good stead when you get to that stage. So, you know, that's a, a good piece of advice mm -hmm. to just yeah. make sure you do that. Yeah. Um, and then touching on something, that I mentioned, I've mentioned as we were, as, as we've been talking. Yeah, I think knowing your competition and, and knowing what you know, the values of the guys that are running your competitors are, um, is really valuable. So you know, like I said, Alex and Jules uh, and Tom, our founders, know all of our competitors personally. They meet them for coffees. They, and and then you know, when it co it came to us acquiring a company and then being acquired. The relationships were already there between people. It's not like we had to build relationships from scratch on day one and things were completely different. Of course, you continue to build your relationships over a period of time, but it helps if you know a bit about those guys up front. I mean, that helps in a decision about whether it's the right deal for you, um, but it also helps like post-deal post as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think probably the most important thing um, for, for me or the best the best piece of advice I could give would be um, it's really important to achieve a, an honest and mutual understanding of the, the rationale for, for an acquisition right um, and that both parties involved in that are honest um, about what that rationale is um, and and um, you know it, it's in, in, it's agreed between both parties that the things are the right things um, so yeah I mean there's, there's various various reasons for, for an acquisition. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what are some of those reasons? I mean, in, in your case, it was to, you know, actually gain market entry. I mean, in other cases, it might be to take out competition. It could be to acquire technology. What what are some of the reasons that you've... Yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah, from, from my experience, those are the reasons. So, um, and those are the reasons for us. So in the acquisition that we did, it was to hire in some great talent and it was to get a, a foothold into uh, 
a new market for us. Um, and then when we were acquired, I mean, the reasons were, were, were the same, I guess. It was they wanted to bring some talent into their business and some know-how. Um, they, uh, you know, the, the, our product was a key driver for them buying us. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly gr like growing their market share and taking some competition out of the market. I think they were, they were all key things um, in the deal. Um, I, and um, I think, you know, it's, it's been a good deal for, for all parties concerned. Um, I, I think the one thing that we would look back on and say is like the extent to which those things were important in the deal and what the motivators were. Mm -hmm. And probably there's a slight mismatch there, not a million miles away, but a slight mismatch. And it just would have made the, the integration process slightly easier, if, you know, if it was, if it things were a little yeah, clearer. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been a yeah phenomenal journey. Congratulations on, on getting through Thank it. You. Um, and yeah, look forward to, to, to hearing about what, what will happen next at, at Hassel. Um, just to end up, where, where can people follow you personally if they want to keep in touch? Have you got a Twitter handle or a... Do you know what? It's unbelievably embarrassing for somebody that works in tech. I don't really use Twitter. Yeah. Um, no, best of, you know, if, if you can, anybody can get me at willahassel.com. Or, or on, your, on your LinkedIn or, or something LinkedIn. like that. Yeah, yeah. Cool, excellent. Well, thanks for coming in. Thanks for talking to the teams. I know a lot of the founders uh, got a lot out of that session. So, yeah, thank you and uh, goodbye, listeners.